Have you ever wondered how a song is made? How it starts? What happens during the recording process? How does an idea become that beautiful three-minute thing you hear on the radio? My name is Emmeline, and in my new show, Journey of a Song, I take you on a tour of a musician's creative process, from the first notes to the final recorded song. As a singer-songwriter and an independent recording artist, I'm intimately familiar with the magic of music creation. But I also know that each song has its own sacred story. Each week, I'll be talking to a different songwriter as they pull back the curtain on a favorite composition, beginning with an acoustic version of the song and ending with the final recorded product. In between, you'll hear a conversation about the inspiration behind the song, the decisions made in the recording booth, and the many ways in which music reflects and informs our emotions and our lives. This week, my guest is the thoughtful pop artist Berkeley. A native of Pueblo, Colorado, Berkeley combines his insights as a literature professor with his vast experience as a producer and songwriter to create pop music that is at once palatable and intellectually challenging. His latest single is the beautiful Meditative Fiesta Day, which is out now on all streaming platforms. Welcome back to Journey of a Song. My name is Emmeline. I'm your host, and I'm so excited for today's episode. We are going to be discussing Fiesta Day by the incredible Berkeley. Berkeley, how's it going? Hey, it's going fine. I'm warm. I have power. Everything is good in the world. <laughs> I feel like our measure for good has changed significantly this week. Yeah, the bar has been lowered. But yeah. uh, it's it's been kind of nice that uh, I, I can like reprioritize what I want to dedicate my, my daily time to and what really matters, like having water. <laughs> yeah, and having heat. and Yeah, yeah. Such, such such basic things that it's like I totally took it for granted. I mean, Amen. yeah, wild. It has been nuts. Well, thank you for joining me in the midst of the snowpocalypse. Yeah, of course. Thank you for giving me this little haven that we can talk about stuff that is a lot more interesting and fun. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start today with an acoustic performance of your brand new song, Fiesta Day. you 
Yesterday, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. It's nice to have like a forum to play the song. Yeah, it's lovely to hear it acoustic. I think, you know, one of the things that I always wonder is how artists break these things down. Because I, you know, I know the way my songs sounded in their naissance, if you will. And mm -hmm. then to sort of hear how they progress over the course of time is fascinating to me. So I'm always curious to hear how they started so that when our listeners hear the final recorded version, they can kind of go through that process with you. So we talked a little bit pre-recording um, about the impetus for the song, but I would love for you to share with our listeners just kind of the story that inspired this for you. Yeah, there's something that led to it just from like developing all the themes that are going into the, the album that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of like where the title came from. I was working on just developing this list of things that, that represent the, the namesake of the album, which is about my, my hometown of uh, Pueblo, Colorado. And so it's, it's called Pueblo, and I, I wanted to identify all these things that were uniquely of the city, but that represented something really personal to me, because I didn't want to write about the town, like, who am I to like try and, you know, talk about the history of this place? Because I mean, I, I don't even really fully know it, you know, it's, I, I just know my, myself and my story there. So... I was trying to write things that were, though, reflective of the city. And one of the things is Fiesta Day. Um, that's like this this uh, celebration at the like end of summer, beginning of September, that celebrates um, Hispanic Latinx culture of, of the city, which is very like big. And I'm 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 half Mexican myself, so like it actually means means something to me that's a little bit more nuanced than than some other people there. So uh, I'm really interested in like how song titles can grab you before you ever heard the song or when you don't know the artist and you but you might like pick up the album and you look in the back and you read the song titles and you you just want to hear what they did with those words so i i'm i'm really searching for um these evocative titles but that also speak directly to the people of of pueblo and like my, my friends and my family who who are from there and fiesta day was like i have no idea what that song would be about but i, I really want to write that song and uh it took me forever to write what it ended up being like it it was all over the place and, and then it became like other songs by other names um it was it was probably the hardest one to pin down for the whole album but that's that's how i ended up at at fiesta today and the, the the song that was not about the the parade or the whole like kind of celebration thing there, there, there were a lot of different like aspects to it that like you know i don't have to get into but um it's not about any of those things it, it's actually about um an old friend of mine and so that's the other aspect of like where I was trying to find this this bridge between titles and myself um, and still like balance the idea of like I'm writing about a place that I've been that not a lot of people know about, but I also don't want to insult the people who are from there and who live there, you know. So I had to write about myself and it was this uh, kind of reckoning that I was facing with all of the songs that it was like I am I'm, I'm looking back at my childhood there and my, my adolescence and my early 20s in, in Pueblo 
and just kind of like dealing with the trauma of growing up that <laughs> you know everybody faces i mean i i had a pretty pretty mellow life right like my parents weren't divorced um you know i i had a loving family i had some you know pretty pretty stable romantic relationships i guess i mean that that that's all relative but like you know i i didn't really have to endure a, a lot of trauma but as i was going through these songs i was like i have some major hang-ups and uh you know i I think that that just comes from growing up, and one of the things that I've that I've had a hang up over for like since I was sixteen was the end of this relationship with a really close friend of mine, mm. and I'm I'm 35 now, and I'm I'm still thinking about this guy like every other day, and um, I really wanted to address that in a song, and somehow that ended up being Fiesta Day. Like this is a long way to to express that because it took like a year and a half to get here of like I really want to write a song called Fiesta Day and I really want to deal with this issue with my old friend and somehow the the two ended up coming together and you know so as as I'm going through all of these songs um when when it felt right it was like yeah that's the song title and that's the song subject mm -hmm. so it, it it took forever to f bring these two together and make it feel right because they they never seem to cross paths in my mind as like oh yeah maybe these two things would go together like never would i have thought that but somehow that ended up happening in my notebooks you know well, it's interesting that you say that fiesta day is marks the end of the summer that's what you said in pueblo uh yeah but not so much like um not so much intentionally it, it just kind of happened you know like that's mm -hmm. where they put it because that's also the beginning of the of the colorado state fair okay so um but it's it's a really interesting time that there's this big celebration and school is starting and then the fair is starting and it's it's the end of summer the beginning of fall and like in colorado especially that that time of year you, you really begin to feel the shift toward fall like in late august whereas like here in texas it's like you kind of feel it for like a week in november <laughs> i don't know man we've we've gotten some hardcore seasons this year <laughs> yeah right i think everyone's collective energies have been like trying to like manifest some sort of normalcy. <laughs> we got a hardcore week of winter. Yeah, the, yeah, right, exactly. And so, oh, did you hear my dog? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we must have gotten a, gotten a delivery. But yeah, so when, when there's that shift there, you really feel it like in your like inner soul that, that, that the seasons are changing and that things are gonna die. So it's, it's a really interesting like time of year there and it, it, it's something that I've always loved. Like that was when I was uh, in in high school. That was when I got to pull out my scarf and feel like an intellectual because I was, you know, going out in the leaves. You're like, check me out. I have it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's funny, but it marks a time of transition. And I think what I hear you saying is that oh, this represents the transition in a friendship that you never really understood and kind of wanted to go back and explore. Yeah. When you, it made sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. You totally nailed it. And but this is what's cool about writing these songs is that like I never knew that. Mm. And it wasn't until I had written it and recorded it and done the video and started showing it to some friends before I put it online that like that's what this is about. And that's why those two things fit. Like that it, it blew my mind that it was like this is the time of year that Fiesta Day happens and this is what I needed to write about. It was this huge shift in the way that I saw my myself and my my love for other people because like the yeah the the, the way that our friend i mean it, it was it was a really weird end to this friendship because you know some people just drift away mm -hmm. but he and i like sat down and ended it we, we mm -hmm. like talked about it and it was um such a huge shift in the way that i approach people and the way that i think of like myself of being capable of caring for other people mm -hmm. but now that i'm in you know like i'm deep into my adulthood 
it was something that I could look back on and be like, you know, that was like really dumb of both of us to do it that way. But now I get it. And, you know, it was this huge delayed reaction of like, oh, this is how I can actually be a better person. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah I... like in terms of that transition thing, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, there's there's a theologian named Robert Bella who says that the beauty of music especially is that it participates in that which it represents. Mm, yeah. And I think so often that's true, right? As music becomes the conduit through which we realize these things about our relationships or these things about ourselves or these things about our lives that we didn't realize before. Yeah, absolutely. That that was what I was kind of hopeful for in, in writing all these songs, which is like why I was like kind of setting almost like a thesis for myself of like, it's it's going to be about my, my hometown because it needs to be about these things that I want to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of went into it with the faith that that would happen. And the 10 songs that I ended up with, like that, that was sort of what, what dictated what would go on the album was like, they're, they're accomplishing this for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like musically, they needed to like reach a certain standard, but like mm-hmm. thematically and in terms of the lyrics, it, it, it needed to accomplish that for me. It needed to have like, be at the intersection of all the points in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and if you're telling the story of Pueblo, you're also telling the story of your experience with Pueblo because you can't, it's almost impossible for us to remove ourselves from our experience, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's another thing that I was hoping for, that my experience could be seen as one that is representative of a lot of people who grew up like with me, Mm -hmm. but also just really anywhere. Like if, if, if you're in your teenage years, you probably have a friend that you drifted apart from. Yeah. Um, and maybe you're you're on the side of it where you don't really care, but maybe you're you're the one who's like me who is still just like, Oh my gosh, like what happened? You know Why did we do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think we're you know, we talked about this briefly, but hearing the song in the midst of COVID uh, the end of the world means something totally different to me than it probably meant to you, because you have this lyric in the song. Mm-hmm. Um please understand me before the end of the world. And I think, you know, we, we've joked a lot about 2020 sort of being this apocalyptic year where all of the horrible things happened and 2021 just being really an extension of 2020 so far because here in Texas, we've spent the last week without power or water, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and all of us are learning, you know, how to cook outside and how to do things we probably should have learned and maintained in scouts when we were kids. <laughs> but, and thought, I'm never going to need this because I live in the city. Yeah, why um, would I need this? Exactly. Yeah survival skills I don't need survival skills but but I think there is a universality to that experience of things feeling as a teenager like everything is the end of the world oh yeah absolutely yeah there's this so so I I I did finish writing the lyrics in 2020 and it was one of the things that made me kind of want to reach out to this friend because I think I found where he lives now and I, I had some people telling me like yeah reach out to him and then I thought if if I do that that's for me and I don't know what he's dealing with, and I don't want to, like, bring up a bunch of stuff and just, like, bring him down further than we all are. Um, but I also did want him to have this kind of sense of, oh, this is where you're, you were coming from then and where you are now. Um, like, th- there is the, the, the sort of literal, I do want you to understand me before maybe I go to the grocery store and die. Yeah, w- the, the, there's also this sort of parallel throughout it of, like, what it's like when you're at that age. This is another th- thing that sort of, like, determined what what was going to make it on on the album is if it is meaningful to me now and if it would have been meaningful to me if i didn't write it and i heard it as a teenager Mm -hmm. um because yeah we we had 
one really big fight that felt like the end of the world, like a year before we like called it quits Mm -hmm. because he and I were in a band together. Mm -hmm. I mean, and like band, like air quotes band. (laughs) Uh, It was like me and him primarily. And then two other guys that would kind of like come in and out because we were too young to really take it seriously. But we were in like a punk band and we ended up getting this show at the Colorado State Fair. And, you know, we were very young and our world was very small. Mm -hmm. So this was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And we had like six half written songs uh-huh. And we were on the phone because he's like, hey, I got us this th- this gig. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. What are we going to play? And so we started really seriously, like, mapping out our set list. Like, uh-huh. this this would have marked the end of the world for us if it was like, we you know, we can't get it right. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we were kind of, like, kind of mocking it up, knowing that we didn't really have these songs done and we didn't really have, like, a full band. Mm-hmm. And we, we couldn't decide on what we wanted to close with. And we ended up like shouting at each other over the phone, like, why would you choose that? Why not this? And like, it, they all sucked, you know? They were all like, <laughs> these like 15 year old pop punk songs. And we, we never really resolved the argument because lightning struck my house and like shut everything down. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it, it felt so weird because we were at the height of, uh, of yeah. the fight. We were like screaming at each other on the phone and then lightning struck. Oh my gosh. Um, and then the next day we kind of like talked it out and like it turned out that we didn't have the gig. <laughs> oh no! So it was all fine, right? But it, it, it was so deep, like we were so mad and, but it, it, was, it, was, it was only because we were serious about it. Um, and we obviously weren't that mad at each other because the next day it was like it didn't happen. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, that, that, but that's another aspect of like, I, I wanted him to understand why I wanted that song last, you know. Yeah. I got fried by lightning. <laughs> what I mean, there's, I, I feel like there's such an interesting push and pull when it comes to being in close relationships with other people, whether those are friendships, whether those are relationships, but especially when you're making music together, because everybody's very emotionally invested in this creative endeavor. Yeah. And so everything does sort of feel like the end of the world. But you're also inviting somebody into this really sacred space for you. Yeah. Yeah, we would... Um... You know, and I mean, I, I was in bands like past this that were that actually like were were more serious and actually did some things. But like at that time, it felt like our our like sleepovers were going to be these like all night and they ended up being like all night writing sessions. And we would record things on our little like two track tape recorders. And it was like, OK, what are we going to do with this? Are we can like send this demo. And it was like, no way. Like this is you know, <laughs> the, the, these were not ready to, to send to anybody or to show anyone. But um, yeah, it, it all felt like we were moving toward like. Like the two of us were, were were moving towards something very grand, and it was like determining the rest of our lives. Um, and I, I think, especially when you come from a town of the size of of Pueblo, it it felt like a way out because you didn't really know what else you were gonna do. It it, it felt like the rest of your life was at stake if you could write a good song or form a band that was interesting enough. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, like I don't believe that all bands make like the best music in the world but sometimes they're just so compelling uh-huh. as like a group of people and there's this chemistry that 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 happens that that you can really strike something cool that could elevate you above like being a human yeah and, you know i i think that he and i were kind of like chasing that because we we were in like sort of the end of like the golden age of of mtv and vh1 where mm-hmm. y- you saw people like that they were still playing um, music then yeah you and and you saw like kind of a variation of of of, of bands on there, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we were always pushing each other in a friendly like 
friendly but competitive way yeah. with you know with our guitar playing because that felt like that this is the thing this is the one thing that each of us have that we can use to um you know elevate us and, to propel ourselves forward yeah and if it wasn't that it was nothing we were going to end up working who knows where you know it felt like the the thing to do and if if we weren't going to take it seriously then it was like i want nothing to do with you <laughs> i yeah i really love the way over the course of the song though you've articulated that sense of urgency that we all experience as people to get out to make something of ourselves to do something big to be a part of something big you know like i don't want to be next to you but i miss being close this idea of i'm so afraid to be loved but at the same time wanting that so badly you, you know, you articulate this inner struggle that I think so many of us experience when we're thinking about things like that, that feel big, that feel urgent, that feel, you know, sort of apocalyptic in our lives, but that also feel like the difference between a life that is grand and big and explosive and a death that happens slowly over the course of many years because of stagnation. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, like I, I wasn't thinking of this specifically, but like that encapsulated is... Um, that that Shakespeare quote of like mm -hmm. you know you die a thousand deaths or something like that yeah. if you like basically don't don't try that's a huge paraphrase <laughs> but um, uh, yeah that 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 to me is like the the, the real teenage experience um, as you remember it when it's done because yeah, like at the time you're just in it and and you're living but like when you're in your adulthood and and you look back on it it's sort of like you see all the mistakes that you made. Or how like thrilling it was. That's that's kind of where it all comes from. But then you know when you're older and you and you look back on it, that's kind of how I'm trying to to dissect it. Of I want to reach out to him, but I also don't. And you know th then there's more to it that like he and I had one more interaction after we sort of like broke up, <laughs> where I saw him after he had moved out of town, mm -hmm. and I just like happened to see him like walking down like one of our old haunts like in in Pueblo, and I I, I pulled over, and I was like oh my god it's you like get in i'll take you to wherever you're going and i was like let's let's hang out like are you doing anything right now and he's like yeah could you take me to this other guy's house and i i took him there and i dropped him off and i was like if i ever see him again i'm gonna punch him in the face but you know it's like now i want to see him again and i want to catch up because it's like what have you been doing now that we're both like stable and we've both kind of figured out who we are as people mm -hmm. you know who are you now like i want to get to know you now um but i also don't because i think that like to some degree like that that is him that uh, maybe I thought I was his best friend, but he wasn't mine, you know? Um, and I can respect that now, because it's like, now I'm at a place where I want to be social, but I also just want to stay home all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. you know, I can dig that, that, that dynamic of like, he can not hate me, but it doesn't mean I need to be like his brother, you know? Yeah, it's fascinating, I think. Because when we grow, right, we understand our own growth. And we can look at that trajectory over time. We can do sort of the retrospective that you've done over the course of yesterday and say, oh, well, here's where I was and here's where I am now. And here's what this looks like from the distance of however many years. Ani DeFranco has this really great line in a song of hers called Untouchable Face, where she says, you look like a photograph of yourself taken from far, far away. Hmm. And I think that's sometimes how we see people who haven't changed. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I haven't seen him in, in such a long time, but I have um, some old pictures of us like in our like kind of fake band and taking like weird like artsy, but not, they, they're these photographs that are not um, fully equipped with the artistic uh, mind to, to, 
to take them and like have them really execute like the, the way that we wanted them to. But you could tell that we were like trying for something, and that that's the last thing that I have of of, of the two of us is this thing that's like half baked, but you know that it's going somewhere, and it could have been something. But yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. And I want to like seek out that song now because I'm I'm really obsessed with trying to capture that that sense mm-hmm. really accurately of fuzziness. Yeah. You know, how, how 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 do you, like, perfectly express something that is really imperfect and, like, the, the, the faultiness of memory mm-hmm. and um, just, like, the haziness of, of, of grief, you know? Like, all of the things that I, that I remember that, that hurt me are really, like, just the feeling. And I don't quite know in, like, complete relief, like, what, what the thing is that, that brought that to me. Maybe there are things that I still don't really remember about the end of our friendship that, like, really wounded me. But all I know is just, like, oh, this sucks. Like, I hate having to think about it, and I don't want to think about it anymore. But maybe there's something valuable in in the detail. But, uh, I mean, that's that's so much to try and capture in, like, a couplet or, like, a little, like, verse <laughs> of, like, yeah. oh, the, oh, there's so much that I, that, that I could learn from if, if only I could remember it, but I don't want to. I think that's the funny thing, right, is we get teased as songwriters sometimes about writing like 47 songs about one relationship. And people are like, how? How did you come up with 47 songs? And we're like, that was 47 attempts to capture this one moment. Yeah, it, it takes this one time. Yeah. Sometimes it does. And and I think, you know, every step forward that we take in our lives creates a different perspective on that thing that happened before because we're a couple of feet further from it and we can look back and now it looks different. Right. Take a yeah. couple more steps forward and you look back and it looks different again. And so, yeah, I think you, you know, sometimes we try to capture that feeling in all of its iterations as we move forward and keep looking back. Yeah, it, it wasn't until I showed um, a, a friend of mine uh, the, the the finished version of Fiesta Day and he was like, it's, it, it's interesting because it almost sounds like romantic love. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I, is that something that I need to investigate too? Like, was I actually in love with him? Huh. Um, I mean, I haven't really dug that far into it um, right. yet, but I was like that. I mean, selfishly, I was like, that could be a good song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I don't even know if that's selfish or if that's just us saying, oh, okay, well, here's another avenue by which this could be explored. And I, I liken sometimes the process of creation for us creatives as being like a jar, right? And every mm. emotion that we experience puts water in the jar. But there's only so much space in the jar. So as creatives, we have to be like, I need to go empty this somewhere so that I can feel more things because everything that we feel is so heightened. Yeah. And That's such a good way of putting that because, like, I, I've been struggling with a way to, like, make it seem like th- this album is really necessary for me to do and not just, like, I'm being nostalgic. Like, I don't want to be this person who's always looking back and having this, like, pain theater, you know, like, well, all I can do is write about when I was young in a city that you know where i discovered all of these things about myself and mm-hmm. and it hurt me you know like i actually don't want to revisit that ever again i hope this is all i have to say about it because mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a really that that gave me just now a lot of insight into like my my own reason for doing this that uh, yeah i'm ready to empty the jar <laughs> yeah you got to empty the jar to make space for something else and i think that process of emptying the jar there's something magical about it too you feel weightless when you're done and even yes. if what you're writing about is difficult or painful, there's a moment, and it sounds like, you know, you kind of arrive sonically at this at the end of Fiesta Day, where there's a moment of just peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in terms of the composition of, of, of the song, I, I, I wanted to get, like, attention in there, too, where 
I'm I'm only playing four chords throughout the whole song, and most of it is one chord, and it's sort of like pumping, so it feels like you know this is not not a very pleasant place to be hanging out in, <laughs> but it needs to happen because it's going to get you to the next like lift, and that 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 was what like that final conversation that we had felt like of like okay we have to sit and hash this out but i know what's going to happen you know yeah so yeah that's that, that's nice at the end felt like ah to to you rather than like too open or you know like that there's not any closure because i really didn't know a way to finish it without fading it out and i didn't want to fade this one out i mean like i think fade outs totally have their place yeah. but this one didn't feel right to do it and i didn't want to give it like a little bow <laughs> like this little melodic <laughs> treatment of like do 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 you know, it felt like it just needed to yeah. end, um, but but maybe that's sort of like the the uh, nature of the song, leading it there, or like you know that's that's the way that it needed to express itself. Well, and I think that that becomes reflective, right? Because a good song tells us a little bit about the writer, and a great song tells us a little bit about ourselves as well. I think, yeah. you know, we listen and we can hear not only the writer in there, but we can also hear ourselves. And you know, this idea of things are different here. That conclusion, I think, depending on where people are in their lives, is going to feel different. Because if you're at a point of tension, then that acknowledgement that things are different might not bring you peace. But I think if you're if you're at a point of peace with coexisting in spaces where you exist with things that are different, mm-hmm. then maybe it does bring you a bit of peace because you recognize that as a resolution. Yeah, th- that was an interesting uh, verse to to see develop. Like, I don't want to say that I wrote it because it, it, it sort of, like, happened. Yeah. Like, so I, I always had that line, uh, rainbows in the water. Uh-huh. I, I had that from maybe a year ago because I, I kind of ripped it off of someone else, and I don't even remember where I got it from, but it was someone writing about water. And uh, it, it might have actually been, like, Phoebe Bridgers because she, I, I noticed, like, there are a few times where she gets into, like, how, how she um, is dreaming, like that's like a transition thing that she does, mm-hmm. which she's like, okay, I'm gonna switch this verse and now I'm talking about how I'm dreaming. And sometimes it's that she's dreaming about how she was underwater or she was dreaming about being in, in front of a body of water. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, in in a literary sense, like there, there's a lot there, you know, talking about like what this body of water might be. Um, so I was like, well, I kind of need to go there in terms of how I use my images where I can talk about something vast and maybe it's unknowable, or maybe it's just beautiful, or it's just simply a, a device that I can use to get from verse A to verse B or whatever. So I wanted to have something water-based, and I thought, well, this is a pretty image, rainbows in the water. <laughs> and I didn't really have a have a home for it, and I needed a third verse for, for Fiesta Day. And uh, I was like, well, I'll see if I can make something work here. So I stuck it in there, and I kind of started writing around that. And I started, like, rhyming to get my way to the end, I went. I had finished that verse. It was like, this this makes sense as a verse, like on its own, and it makes sense to me personally. Like this mm-hmm. actually says something to me. I thought that I was talking to my friend, and it wasn't until like I had actually like put the song out that I realized like maybe he's talking to me here. Like maybe I need to learn something from that verse. So it, yeah, it, it was really cool because I didn't force anything, yeah. and it felt like like the lesson was writing itself to me. That's so interesting that you bring up this concept of imagery in music, because I think, you know, there's that trite thing that we see on like bumper stickers and t-shirts. That's like, when words fail, music speaks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I think all of us at one point have like retweeted that and felt good about it. Yeah. But but I think at the same time, you know, one of the beautiful things about us as songwriters is we have 
the possibility of evoking imagery. And sometimes that imagery is really concrete and sometimes it's not. Do you find that the songs that speak most to you have more abstract images? There are like different levels of speaking to me, you know, like there are some that like hit you in the face with a message and sometimes those are very blunt and but the ones that like haunt me have a lot of images and I, I, I tend to not remember the images. I just know that like it introduced me to this vision and then like swiped it away because it moved on to the next one. And that's what like Paul Simon songs do to me. Oh. Um, especially his later stuff, like the last three albums I think are his best because mm -hmm. he's, he's older and he's talking about God and death and like just life in general. He has this really, this nut song called uh, Love and Hard Times that is like this sweeping song that it's like about four minutes like i mean it's it's not like one of those epic songs where like when you're younger it's like i wrote like this epic song and it's because you wrote like a 16 minute song yeah like he wrote a very tight song but like mm -hmm. visually it's he's traveling the universe mm. and you know it's like a guy with an acoustic guitar talking about god and giraffes and zebras and the universe it's it, it, it's really crazy but like i I can't remember all of the way that he weaves those things together, but it really haunts me that I have like these, this like kaleidoscopic uh, sense of what that song is. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, to, to answer your question, like yes and no, because, which I, I I'm sorry, I hate that answer, but like, <laughs> yes, because, <laughs> you know, yes, because those songs like have, have such power in them. And, and he, he does that a lot. Like there's one on uh, you're the one, I'm pretty sure it's on that one. Senorita with a necklace of tears, hmm. and uh, yeah, he he just kind of writes it, these these really killer song titles, but then he like backs it up in his lyrics that seem sort of like fairy tales, but then sometimes it, it's not a complete story; it's just a lot of images. And I don't want to rip that off; like I don't really aspire to that because I know that's not what I naturally do. But uh, I I hope that I can get that sense of like something haunts you, from from whatever I do. <laughs> And hopefully it's like a positive artistic kind of haunt and not like, oh my God, that song. <laughs> I mean, I think that I think that both of those things have their place, right? Because there, there are occasional moments of, oh my God, that song. The story that I tell everybody is, you know, back when Pandora was at its height of mm -hmm. popularity, I was working at a radio station and I was transcribing interviews and clipping them and using them as promotions for the station. And so in between, I would listen to Pandora while I was listening to the dialogue. And no matter what station I had on, Coldplay's The Scientist managed to sneak in there. <laughs> like, it could be the Ramones radio. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I would hear The Scientist. And I was like, oh, my God, this song. There's that piano part. Yeah. Like, no, it's just, and, and I wouldn't even notice it until halfway through. He's like, nobody said it was easy. And I'm like, God, again? Like, really? Again? And it, it was really funny because shortly after that period, the station was forced to close its doors. And I was like, nobody said it would be easy. But nobody said it would be this hard. Yeah. And it's funny. I think, you know, songs have a way of warming themselves into your subconscious. And, I you know, ideally as songwriters, all we really want to do is write something that lasts, right? Right. Yeah. And it's it's hard to know who it's going to last for, you know? So, you know, I, I was I was trying to like think in terms of like, here's here's this album that I want to do something and I want it to to yeah kind of it live forever in in some way, mm -hmm. and I knew that I I I couldn't feel comfortable trying that um, 
and, and, and feeling like I was setting myself up for success if I were like trying to write like a pop album for everybody. <laughs> I was like, I need to narrow this and just write, write almost to, to Pueblo and mm. be like, hey, do you feel this way too? <laughs> yeah. So um, do you think a lot about the concept of audience when you write? Yeah, I don't want to though. Like, I really hate that I do. There was a time when I totally didn't, and it was the best. Like, I was very aware that I wasn't doing it, because I, I was in, like, a metal band, and we would we would be challenging the audience all the time. Like, we would be thinking about them and, and their expectations, and then we would just be like... <laughs> and uh, that was so liberating, to just go out there and, and do our thing. But I didn't know any other way yet. Mm-hmm. And then, when I kind of got into, like, songwriting, and I was in Los Angeles, it was... You had to, it was all about the audience. You, you were making a product mm-hmm. and it was about who was going to buy it, you know, which I, I get. And I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to like dump on that because that's how people make their, their livelihoods. I love songs that are products, you know, like it's like what we were talking about with, with, with the California Raisins, like Motown had like this very strict quality control, like assembly line. Like I I just finished reading a book called uh, uh, Where Did Our Love Go? That's like a history of, of, of Motown. And it, it mm-hmm. surprised me how much of an assembly line they, they, that they had. They, they even had like like a finishing school for their artists. Like everything was lockstep, cookie cutter. This is going to be a hit for you. So, I mean, I love those songs. And I grew up on them and it sort of um, formed my, my sense of melody and structure. Um, so, yeah, I can't dump on that. That's my huge disclaimer. Mm-hmm. I love all kinds of music. Um, but w- when I start thinking about an audience, uh, it, it really slows me down and it, mm-hmm. it, it like makes me doubt myself all the time. I'm like, well, if this just sounded a little more like Ethan Gruska, maybe someone would sign me on my first album, you know, but yeah. then, then if I start doing that, then I'm thinking about trying to be someone else. And I, you know, you just shouldn't do that because all the stuff you love is someone totally unique. You know, why do you want to emulate them? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of asking myself that. I know why you want to emulate them. <laughs> but, um, you know, why, why would you do that if, if what you want is ultimately what, what they have, which is a way to make this, like, a life, you know? And- yeah. You're going to hear my dogs, too. That's just going to be the nature <laughs> of the beast, apparently. So first of all, for those of you who, who don't know the California Raisins, Berkeley and Shame I Shame on you. I, yeah, exactly. Shame <laughs> on you. Berkeley and I bonded at pre-show about our mutual love for the California Raisins, which was this cartoon that, you know, employed a bunch of Motown songs. And this is a gross simplification. You should look this up. You should definitely watch it, get into it. It was my introduction to Science Sealed Delivered. And... I, it was just a really beautiful cartoon that kind of, you know, inspired kids to go and make some music. But I think, you know, what it does highlight is the importance of those melodies that get in your head and stay with you. Mm-hmm. Because those melodies become vehicles for messages that change over time. Like the way I hear Motown songs now is different than the way I heard them when I was, you know, three and four and doing the California Raisins moves in the living room. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, then it was it was like they, they could have been saying anything. Like it didn't really matter to me when I was... Five. I I just really loved the way that it sounded and the way that it made me feel, which was more speaking to like the rhythm and and and, and the music. Um, but I I also loved like the way that this, the the singers' voices sounded. And now I listen to the words, and sometimes I'm thinking of it as like, oh, geez, that was corny. Like they're just trying to, <laughs> you know, like sometimes you could really hear them just trying to make the rhyme. And then other times it's like that was a beautiful way of saying something so trite. You know, like all of these songs are about love, but they, they have so many different ways of, of, of saying it that sometimes they, they hit a, an amazing like turn of phrase 
or they, they, they say something so simply that it's like it made this really complex thing like love between two people incredibly simple and like very profound. Um, and I tend, like, for some reason for me, like, that happens a lot in uh, Four Tops songs. Like, for some reason, those are oh, the yeah. songs that, like, really get me. But I know, like, a lot of people love Temptations more than Four Tops, so I don't know. I, but, yeah. I was just thinking about Build Me a Buttercup. <laughs> I guess that's one of those that, like, the lyrics are pretty simple. But that, like, that, the finale of the chorus, you know? So build me up, Buttercup, but don't let, don't like, don't break my heart. Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's just simple It's interesting message. because to me like the weight is in the first part of the chorus like that is like the, the i need you more than anyone i mean like that's so heavy but it's also sort of cliche it's like if someone told me that i'd be like come on <laughs> but like hearing someone sing it like that's another thing if someone told you that you would think they were full of it but if you heard them singing it to you and like looking at you in the audience as they sang it on stage you'd be like it's just us in the world it's just me and them and they mean it and we're gonna live together in a castle yeah yeah. There's something different. Music lends a different kind of credibility to emotions that seem trite when spoken. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, not to be way up Paul Simon's butt about it, but <laughs> I, I I love that he isn't often cliche about things like love. You know, he'll, he'll say some really interesting things. There are so many examples of it, but again, his, his like, last three albums are, oh, every line just kills you. There's a song called... Uh, uh, werewolf or the werewolf I can't remember which one it is mm -hmm. but um, yeah every line in that song is like wow yeah from fr fr from the images to the way that he expresses um, like fate mm -hmm. yeah it, it's a killer but then you get something like Motown right back to the California Raisins they are not trying to get that deep but sometimes they do by just yeah. saying it very plainly and then they put it in the words or in, in the mouths of these claymation raisins <laughs> and it just adds a new dimension to it that like makes it so much more fun yeah you don't realize they're getting that deep but i think that that's the beauty of it too right is that sometimes the music elevates the prose in a way that we don't understand but can feel mm -hmm. you know that i need you more than anyone darling like, if somebody said that to me i'd be like we this is a codependent relationship that needs to end <laughs> like, yeah. you need some therapy i mean and yeah. maybe that's the la and me where i'm like you need to find a therapist that you feel comfortable yeah. with and we can you know work our way through these emotions but i can't be everything you need you know mm -hmm. but when you have all the harmonies behind that and the rush that comes with that musical escalation that crescendo through that line it feels yeah. different and it sounds different and you get that kind of explosive hummingbird heartbeat sensation that you get when you really really crush on somebody yeah that, that's how i feel when i hear a lot of burt Bacharach stuff like the, oh, the yes. stuff that he did when hal david was writing for him his lyrics are so ordinary and like <laughs> every day but they're they're so cool when they're placed with you know it, it, it's very sophisticated sounding music with these very like everyday i ride the bus kind mm -hmm. of lyrics and you know, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about say a little prayer for you like when she's talking oh, yeah. about like she, she gets up and she gets ready in the morning and then she gets on the bus and she goes to work um it's so beautiful the way that it's like wow you're thinking of me that whole time you know <laughs> exactly yeah yeah there's um there's this really beautiful, you know, because that feeling of like, I'm so in love with you is one that songwriters have been trying to articulate in unique ways, you know, since we discovered fire as humans or since we yeah. took an animal bone and went, oh, this is actually a flute. <laughs> um, but there's there's this Hanson song and it has the line, can't stop, can't break, who's driving? This time there's no denying. But today I feel I can't lose. I'm letting go of what I knew. 
and I want you for always. I hear your name in every word I say. And I was like, what a line. Like, I hear your name in every word I say. Yeah. That, oh, that, that just made me think of another song that I, it like flashed to my mind and now I can't think of it. But yeah, these, how, how you can take a person and make it like the totality of existence. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, that is so incredible. It, but like the, the real like magic of it is that you do it in like a handful of words and then you're gone. You know, it's like I, I heard it and it was a huge, like such weight to what that meant. And now we're on to the next thing. And maybe it's like la 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 is the next thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, it's after sort of that, like what can you trick. say when you've told somebody the, the totality of your existence? What do you what do you yeah. say next? <laughs> Except yeah. for la la la, <laughs> we've taken our audience today on like a tour of the best love songs. But <laughs> also, I think there's there's something to be said for the musical support for those emotions. And one of the things that I love here is the driving guitar that you have going because you're right. Like the chord structure in Fiesta Day is not super complicated. But it is driving, and what is complicated is the rhythm and the way that you've juxtaposed these, you know, these accented notes with the unaccented notes to create kind of this moving forward feeling. Yeah, so you know, there there was the the idea of I I want this to have like a sense of tension, um, but I also wanted to keep it sparse because I feel like the, the the fewer chords that I use when I'm writing, the more room I give myself for a melody. And I think that there's probably like some some theoretical basis to that too. I, th- I think that's just kind of true. Um, but there's also a lot of really beautiful things you could do if you're using a lot of chords and, you know, you do like the chord leading thing. Um, again, uh, Paul Simon, American tune, you hear that for sure, where he's leading himself from chord to chord. But in, in this, like, in where I come from, like this sort of punk metal background, I, I'm used to three chords and I don't really want to push it beyond that, although I want the chords to be a little more interesting in terms of uh, the, their voicing. So that's why that, that one chord you hear the most of is a slash chord. And the rest of them are like pure chords. They're all like pure major minors. But um, that that one has a little bit of dissonance in it. It feels really good to like finger. (laughs) So, you know, like I wanted something that I could hold for a while too. Like there's this practical aspect to it where it's like, I I, I want to be able to keep my grip and not have a cramp while I'm playing it. Mm -hmm. And the rhythm kind of came naturally. Although when I sing it and play it, I really have to be thinking about it because it's it's on and off beats but yeah. they but they don't repeat okay so there's like that whole like you know guitar motif but then it that that influenced like the rest of the song i was like i i, I can't play a straight beat over this because then it sort of like it gives us like weird filter to the guitar where mm-hmm. you lose the accents so when i started doing the the, the, the drum tracks i was like maybe i just kind of play through it and i'm just doing that 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 and that was helpful from, um, so I sat in on a session. I, I uh, was the assistant engineer for, for a session for this band at uh, Echo Lab in Denton. And the, the drummer was doing this cool thing for a song that I really, it was not the choice that I would have thought of, but she did such a cool, tasteful thing for a song that could have been 2-4, but she was kind of like playing all through it and accenting 2 and 4. So it was like, but I don't know, I'm shuffling. It wasn't that, but it was like that. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I'll try something like that. And that's what ended up keeping this sort of like gunk, 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 gunk. But there's still a 2-4 feel. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, to keep it driving because I, I like, uh, that That to me is sort of like the Berkeley sound in, mm-hmm. in, in this like uh, introductory phase, <laughs> is that I just want to capture this feeling of music that you can listen to when you're driving a car. 
and not really anywhere else. Like it, it makes the most sense if you're driving a car. Yeah, so I'm like literally trying to, to, to drive or just make it really spacey and you know let, let the landscape kind of determine how you interpret the mood. Because I mean, I, I love listening to music in a car. I, I, I kind of mm-hmm. think that that's like the most uh, engaging way because you, you have all these visuals that are constantly changing. And I, I just kind of have this sort of like romance for it because that's where I w- have been introduced to so much music you know, throughout my life was like, oh, I went and bought a new CD. The first thing I do is put it in my car and then mm-hmm. listen to it on my way home. And it's sort of like, now I associate this CD with this day, this temperature. Yeah, so with with yesterday, there's also this feeling of driving away and leaving forever. So there's, there's that aspect to it too that needed this sort of pursuant, but also like running away feeling. Yeah, and then, then there's this little like lick of a do-do-do-do-do-do-do uh, that... I, I, I just needed an, um, an intro because for so long it was just the guitar uh-huh. at the beginning. And then as I kind of started like just beginning the, the first like rough mix, I was like, this is missing something. Like I'm bored. It's, you know, it's my own <laughs> song and I'm bored. So I gave it like this little, this little lick. And it ended up kind of being the chorus because the song doesn't have like a real firm chorus. Mm-hmm. You know that you're out of the verses and you're out of like, if there is a pre-chorus section, which I'm still not sure of, you know that you're out of it. So yeah, it needed something to, to kind of ground it. And at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking about like the, the theme of the song anymore. I'm just like, as, as a song, how does this thing function? And it needed something to really bring it down. So I gave it like a, a few notes on the piano and um, a Moog and two guitars. So you, you just talked about the production aspect of about listening to the song, about being in the studio and about thinking as you're listening to the song, you know, oh, it needs something here. You are unique as an artist in that you produce all of your stuff as well as writing it. Some of us in the show are not quite as technologically competent. So we have to go to other people in studios and be like, help. But does that, that gives you a lot of freedom as a writer. And it also gives you a lot of freedom as a producer because you have the time to sit there and listen over and over. First of all, did you write before you produced? Yeah. Like as, as a musician, were Mm -hmm. you songwriting before you were producing? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, um, I was writing long before, although I, I always wanted to like, capture the, the the bands that I was in like I wanted to like have something and I just wanted it now and I didn't want to have to go to a studio although I love the studio experience I it was just always like let's just let's just you know get all of our practices it. yeah I, I I really like archiving my, my life for some reason so I was mm-hmm. like let's like record every practice and then that became like well we have the gear so let's just like do a little crappy demo so I wouldn't call that producing <laughs> but yeah before <laughs> then I was writing songs and yeah, filling up notebooks with bad lyrics before I ever got like a little four track. So do you find that the knowledge that you have the time and the space changes your approach to production? Yeah, it kind of, I mean, it, it depends on how clear my vision is for the song, but sometimes it can be a hindrance, you know, like, oh, I have all the time in the world, so I'll just change it or I'll, I'll change the feel completely. And then you end up like really losing the sense of the song. Like, I, I, I do believe that... Um, a song is an idea that kind of comes to you and it's like, I will go through you if you are interested and you sort of make like a pact with the song. Um, and there's a timetable to that, that I don't really know how, how long that lasts. Sometimes it lasts a couple years and sometimes it's like, you got to do it right now. Um, so I don't want to like overproduce it or like spend too long trying to be like, Oh, well I got to get the guitar sound just right. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, you, you just need to track it because some of the greatest recordings, again, going back to Motown, some of these things were cut like in a night 
or it was in like a couple of sessions and it's over. Some of my favorite punk records are like, how long did they spend on this? Like they like, spent Foo a Fighters day in a garage. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, these these things you can't take forever on unless for some reason the song is speaking to you. But I always feel too much anxiety about finishing the thing um, to to feel like I really do have that much time. But mm. you know, like I do take time when I'm mixing it. Um, but in terms of tracking it, it's just like, yeah, let's get the ideas down. And then if I don't like it, I'll just mute it, you know, mm-hmm. for, for the Pueblo stuff that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do have the luxury of having a home studio that I can really work out a lot of different ideas in. And I have everything like mic'd up at all times. So if I have an idea, I can just go and like track it oh, and I don't awesome. have to like, you know, reset everything. It's been nice to, to be able to do that. But sometimes it is kind of like a curse because it's like, well, I could just do whatever I want. And then you get, you know, you go nuts and you start doing too many tracks and it's like, keep this, you know, simple. Like, what would you have done if you were in a band and you had to go into a studio and you were on the clock? What would you prioritize? And at that point, it's like, okay, I just need to cut out XYZ and just stick to the core of the song. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot here on Journey of a Song is how you know when something is done. Mm. Like, how do you know when it's finished? And the universal answer has been, it's never done, it's due. Right, yeah. Because if you let yourself really dig into, is it finished yet? The answer is always no. Yeah, there's always going to be something that you can tweak or, like, rewrite a lyric. I just kind of have to set, like, these arbitrary fake deadlines for myself. It's like, if I wrote the lyric and I am good with it for, like, three days and I don't want to change it, or, you know, like, I demo it, I will change it after I demo it, but if I like do like a rough scratch thing for for the final tracking, it's like it's done. Mm-hmm. I cannot go back, just because I've committed it to a scratch track. I mean, you know, I, I can totally change it from a scratch track, but it's like if I'm at this stage, I need to stop. It, it would need to be a dire emergency for me to suddenly be like, no, it it you know, I've I've got to change it because in the end, it's like yeah, you know, it's like you and many other people believe that like it's it's not done, it's due. When the album is out, you can't be like George Lucas and make like a special edition of your thing and like keep re-releasing it, changing the content of it, like yeah. you know, because at that point it it, it it means something to someone. And I guess this is sort of like dawning on me now. If it, if it means something to me, then it's done. Mm-hmm. And if it could mean something more, or if it could mean something a little more accurate, then it's not quite done yet. But like lyrically, that's how I guess I know I'm done because it's like. This is saying what it needed to say to me. And if it doesn't, then I'm not done with it, you know? Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that you have a couple parts of your process, right? Like it has to resonate with you. And then you've mentioned playing songs for friends and it has to resonate with them. Yeah. Sometimes I'll show, I mean, you know, I'll like preview like a mix to someone and be like, you know, does this sound okay? Am I like lost? Because so this (laughs) is like another huge danger of it is that if, if I'm writing it and recording it, and mixing it, like, mm-hmm. I can make a lot of concessions and be like, no, this sounds great because I like it. And it's yeah. like, but it does not hold up against the artists that you want to be seen with. Mm-hmm. But you're just kind of, like, lost and, you know, you completely lose lose perspective. So I like to, like, try and show it to people who are way outside of the process and be like, what do you think? And hopefully they're not, like, devastatingly right about how bad it is because it's like, but I've done it all, you know? Well, back to the drawing board. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of just me wanting to... Uh, please myself, which I think is sort of like paramount, you know, because this is you and this is your voice and you need to strike out as an, as an individual. But if, if you are trying to get some foothold in the marketplace, if you want to think, I mean, this yeah. is, this sucks because there are some people who are just like, I solely want to think of this as art. Mm-hmm. So much respect to you. 
I love that and I want to be like that all the time. But it's like there is some aspect of like I do want people to hear this mm-hmm. and I do want people who I don't know to like pick it up and check it out. So where do I fit in? Right? Like I'm not going to try to fit into like a some like Charlie XCX box. That's not me. I'm you know, I I want to fit into like this kind of singer-songwriter box. So who am I going to like be up against on the shelf if you know you want to stock my record? So I do kind of have to think about the audiences to, to some extent. So it's like, all right, do you think that I'm there? And I, you know, share that with some people. And if they're like comfortable telling me yes and not like, yeah, sure. Then, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So for you, you mentioned wanting to exist in the singer songwriter space. Um, and I think one of the things that's so cool to hear a fully produced track, because you sent this to me fully produced, and I was like, this is neat. And then I always wonder what the acoustic iteration is going to be like when I hear all the instruments. I always wonder how it started. So for you, when you think about recreating this live, do you think about recreating it with a band? Or do you envision every time you write, okay, I need to be able to also recreate this solo? Yeah, th- there's definitely like a, I, I should be able to present this just as me and, and an instrument and have the song work. Because I, I think that that's like a good song. If you can take away everything mm-hmm. and then there's still like this clear expression and there's a thing that you feel from it. Otherwise, it to me, that's like the distinction of a song and a performance piece. Because then otherwise you're, you're wanting to be like, this instrument comes in now. And if it doesn't come in then, then it's like, what the hell, where, where was that thing, you know? There's a good comparison that uh, John Bryan, the songwriter, producer, composer, um, makes. And he's like, Led Zeppelin is like one of the best bands, but they don't write songs, they write performance pieces. Because if you went to see them live and they played like Stairway, and it didn't have everything that happened in the recording, it would feel a little dead. And I was like, that's not true. And then I saw a Song Remains the Same, and I was like, whoa, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I love Zeppelin, and then I was like, yeah. I do not like Zeppelin Live, though. Um, and that, that really impacted the way that I want to think about my own songs, which are much different. But, um, you know, I want you to like like the song and not so much like that final product that I made. I hope that, you know, the whole like, production part of it um, is, is interesting and very compelling. But if it were just me having to go play like a solo tour, you wouldn't feel let down. Yeah, that this, the meat of the story would still be there. And yeah. the meat of the feeling that it elicits would still be right. there. Yes, absolutely. I don't want the, the, the feeling that you get from one of my songs to come from one instrument that happens like in the background, right? Like like the little bit of Moog that's in Fiesta today, that should not dictate the feeling that you get. Yeah. I feel the same way. It's. I think I was struck by what a fantastic songwriter Taylor Swift is when I mm. saw her do the NPR Tiny Desk concert. Yeah. I like all of her songs more in that setting when it's just her and an instrument because I think then it's been stripped to the bare emotions of the story and the song and that's that's the meat of it. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with that that when it's just her and and the guitar you you get it better. <laughs> when it's her and like the the album you you get this thing of this sort of like brand feeling of like oh yeah, these are meant to be like epic I mean, that's you know, Max Martin. Romantic. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's, that's like, I feel like I'm in a target. Because, like, these these songs are supposed to make me want to associate them with the things in my life. And But when it's her singing it, yeah, you're, you're, you're hearing a person sharing something about themselves with you. 
But yes, I mean, sometimes like a, a fully produced thing can kind of mask that because you're you're too lost in like, oh yeah, this makes me think of a movie scene. I mean, like, m- maybe that's the intent and that's that's cool. But sometimes if it's not, that's actually sort of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, or you get stuck in the place where you can hear all 32 of the tracks that went into the recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think it was Rick Rubin who said this, but I heard it from Dan Wilson, the songwriter via uh, Rick Rick Rubin, that like if you can sit and listen to to a recording, it's like what are you thinking about? And you're like, oh, the the drums. It's like, up, oh, stop. You need to do it again because you're thinking of the drums. You're not thinking about the song. If if you're not hearing any element of the recording, then you're hearing the song. You know. Um, so that's that, that's kind of what I strive for. Like whether I'm recording my own stuff or working with other artists, like I hope you don't really fixate on one element of the song, but really you're listening to the whole thing. Yeah, that's a really beautiful way to look at it. For those for those who aren't familiar, Dan Wilson wrote "Closing Time," but he also wrote um, like he was part of the band Semisonic, but he also wrote "Someone Like You" with Adele, and Rick Rubin mm-hmm. has produced everybody from LL Cool J to the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. And it's kind of famous, as I know from Rolling Stone, for going in in like his bathrobe and slippers and sitting down and listening to a piece and then being like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, fix it, bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He like doesn't have any like musical training. He just is like sort of like this taste guy. I remember I was in a session once. It was like the, the first week I was in Los Angeles and I was, you know, coming from like this little, this little town. So everything was like, wow. And, uh, all these people around me were getting text messages that that Rick Rubin had like locked himself in his office in Capitol and like wasn't going to come out. So like everyone was on their phone like really like studying this whole moment. And I was just like, what's happening? I mean, like that was major FOMO because I was like way out of the loop. Yeah. And I was in this like big big city for once in my life, and all this like big news was happening with a major like music personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, it was a real trip. But that that made me think like I should listen to what he says because people really really pay attention to him. When his thing is listening to music as a fan. Yeah. Like his deal yeah. is you don't go in there and listen like a classically trained musician or like a producer or like a drummer or a guitar player. Because I think that's that's always the tendency, right? Is we go in and we listen to our instruments and we think, oh, well, that G was slightly out of tune. You might want to go fix that. Or, you know, we hear a desk and we're like, hey, you missed that note by a by like a quarter of a semitone. You might want to mm-hmm. go in and slide that melodyne up a little bit. Yeah. There are many, many days or many times in a day where I'm like, I actually wish I didn't know anything about music. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's like, I, I would love music so much more. Like when I hear something, I, and this is, this says a lot about me and a lot about my own like hangups and traumas that like when I hear something that I love, I, I, I am super high on it for a little bit. And then I feel way depressed because I'm like, I didn't do that. Or like, you know, that's that's not what my next song sounds like, or I, sh- I, I should sound like that. And it's like, no, 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 you know, you, you always have to at least have have the capability to, to recognize when you feel like that and have the tools to help you get away from that. But I hate that I actually do get there. Like, I, I heard um, Good Days by, by SZA and was just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, this is incredible. This is like one of the best things I've ever heard. And I'm, I'm not mixing at the level of Sean Everett I'm not writing at the level of like all these people who are and and I can't sing like SZA. It's like I'm none of these people though. Like why am I trying to judge myself based on who they are? But yeah, that's that's one of the things that makes me think like would my life be easier if I actually were just a fan and like never studied it? If if I didn't know what any of these chords were, you know, like 
would I listen in a more more joyous way? I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm actually listening in a much more fun and enriching way by knowing what's happening. Sometimes, who knows? Maybe I would wish that I learned how to play guitar if I never did. You know. What I mean, and there's there's joy, right? And sitting down and knowing a song and playing it. Like yeah. we're we're about to play. As, as I'm talking to you, I'm about to play a '90s tribute night with some friends. It's the best. So good. Yeah. Opening bell. Coffee is kind enough to host it. But um, the songs that I picked were Don't Speak by No Doubt, mm. Stay by Lisa Loeb, and Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. Just because yeah. those are like the ones that hit you in the feels. Stay is like, I mean, that, that's a great coffee house song for one. But like, I was, I was too young to feel the things that I felt when I heard that. Like, I had no, I, I, I had never experienced the things that she experienced when she wrote that. And I felt so, like, heartbroken and, like, lovesick when I heard that song. And I had no, no experience with those emotions when I heard that. So that's a, such a good song. <laughs> it is, it's brilliant. And I, I saw her perform it later when I worked at a radio station. She came by and she did some promo surrounding a different album that she was putting out. And she came and she did it acoustically in our lobby. And, you know, I was simultaneously watching it as adult me and teenage me and child me who had heard the song and I just like tears just welled up and yeah. she hits all of those emotional beats every time she plays that song and I think that's that's what I appreciate about hearing the acoustic versions of these songs and what I loved about hearing you play at the beginning is the core of what you mean emotionally when you sing Fiesta Day is there in the acoustic performance that's good thank you <laughs> I'm glad yeah, like all of the emotional moments in that song are present in the acoustic performance. And they're stripped raw, so you feel them almost more when it's just the artist and the instrument. I, I hope that is true for all of my other songs. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's very, it brings a lot of peace to hear just like one person say that, because that's, you know, what you, I mean, this goes back to kind of what we were talking about, like that's, that's one of the things that you strive for, if not the thing that you hope you accomplish is that you can just communicate something and you know make make that thing clear e even if you're meaning several things by saying one one thing it you know if you can present that kind of duality or that multiplicity to somebody and how how it's so complex and weird to feel that way then cool you did it you know yeah you just want to make people feel stuff yeah so I ask this of everybody who comes on the show. If people walk away from Fiesta Day with one message, what do you want that message to be? That maybe it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> take Whatever. that. Take that and, and do with, you know, do do what you will with it. I mean, I, I, I guess that's that's where I end up with it is, you know, I, like I said that I thought that I was talking to myself with the final verse and then it felt like maybe it's my friend talking to me or maybe it's the lesson um in the end i you know you you can't go back and maybe i could reconcile with him in some way but i'm reconciling with him now as myself at 35 and himself at 35 we're, we're never going to fix that moment at 17 or whatever it was you know so maybe it's actually fine now that we never see each other again because what are you going to do <laughs> yeah maybe it's okay Berkeley, thank you so much for hanging out today. Thank you so much yeah. for agreeing to come on and to dissect this song with us and to just talk about, you know, the push and pull of making music. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about myself all day, so if you want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are always welcome to come back. Everybody is always welcome to come back. I love these conversations. I, I yeah, love hearing these songs. 
Um, and I think it's so important for us as artists to kind of to talk about what inspires art and to let people know, you know, along the lines of maybe it's okay. Whatever you're feeling is never too big for a song. Yeah, for you sure. can always take those things that you're feeling, whatever they are, and they're never too much for music. And I think that's what I've always loved about it is, you know, going back to God, I remember the first time I heard Don't Speak. You want to talk about a song that made you feel things you were too young to feel. Yeah. Like, I remember sitting in the dark in my room and that song as a tiny, tiny human and being like, whoa. Like, and then you learn the, the, the history of where that song came from. Yeah, yeah, if you want to talk about like nothing's too big, I mean, they wrote that song. Like, they recorded it. They wrote it, rehearsed it, recorded it. And the two people that it was about were in the band together the entire time, like that whole process. Like, man, that's, that's, that, that's a real dedication to to the career and and to the craft that it was like no this is a good song we should do it and it's like you have to sit here and listen to your ex ream you in the song like rip your heart out again and again and rip her own heart out again and again just because it's like it's it could be a hit <laughs> well and then they did it every night on tour for oh, years yeah never stopped i mean and, th and then they have to revisit it you know like if they did like a reunion thing or something now like yeah. they would have to revisit that thing even though they're both so different well, and I mean, every tour they do, like that's that's a song you can't go on stage and not perform. I mean, yeah, I granted, that. yeah, granted, I did see Counting Crows perform and not do Mr. Jones. Mm. The whole audience, when they walked off stage, was like, "Where's what? Mr. Jones?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. I came for this song. Yeah, like, I, I could do without Long December, but you didn't do Mr. Jones. That's not okay. <laughs> they did do Long December, actually. That's funny that you say that. <laughs> Adam Duritz was like, we're going to do all the depressing stuff. Um, and I think, you know, as a band, you totally have the right to do that. If you emotionally are not feeling a song, you totally have the right to go on stage and not play it. But to your point, yeah. you know, when you're putting the audience first, when you're nurturing the sacred relationship between artist and audience, you have to go play your hit. You have to go play that song, even if that song is the thing that guts you the most. And I feel like we as artists are just terrible judges of our own catalog. Like the songs that we love, are, at least in my experience, the songs that I love that I write are never the songs that other people love. And the songs that I write that I'm like, mm, I don't know about this, are songs that people are like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, I need to hear this again. Yeah. And so you do have to have a sort of dedication to playing what you know people are going to connect to. Yeah, so that, that made me think of two things. One is that uh, Bonnie Raitt's uh, I Can't Make You Love Me, oh, one of the most killer songs in the world. Mm -hmm. She she doesn't like having to do that, but she understands that she has to do it every night. Um, but this is, it, it's interesting you mentioned the, the second point because it's another Dan Wilson thing, mm -hmm. is that he's like, whatever your most embarrassing song is, like the one you don't want to share is probably going to be the hit. <laughs> it's so true. And it's because it makes people feel something that they need to feel. Yeah. Yeah. Or they feel that, that uneasiness coming from you and it, it, it's, it's something resonating. So it makes some kind of connection. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, there's a, for me, there's a beauty in that. Like when I revisit songs that gutted me to write, mm -hmm. like my equivalent of don't speak, having somebody come up afterwards and say you know you wrote the song of my relationship and here's my story that moment makes everything that came before worth it yeah like whatever heartache i experienced in writing the song whatever heartache i experienced in playing it on stage like having somebody come up afterwards and be like i have been there and you spoke to me in that moment that makes the whole rest of it worth it yeah hopefully you emptied two jars doing that 
I love that. Yeah. Empty two jars. But do you, do you find that that's the same? So do you, first of all, do you look forward to playing these songs live when the world opens oh. again? Yeah, absolutely. Like, my, my real dream is to, like, go back to my hometown and play the whole album. But, like, yeah, I... I, I can't wait to perform them because that that's another sort of like exorcism, you know, I can yeah. sing these songs to myself all the time or I can like sit in my studio and just record and like hear them back to me again and again as I mix. But like being out there and like playing it live, that's such a physical thing. And it's, there, there's such a real um, kind of kind of connection thing that's happening between you and like this room full of people like that. That collective energy is so real that um, I hope to be emptying many jars by doing that because that's yeah, that's such a real feeling that that I really miss. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So Berkeley, if people want to follow your journey, if people want to be in the audience next time, but they can be, where's the best place for them to do that? You can go to alwaysberkeley.com and sign up for the mailing list there. That's where I make like all the real big announcements. But I also like give things away there or you can get early access to stuff before it goes on sale to everybody else. So um, that would be the place to go if you want to hear about shows first and, and get tickets before anybody else. Alwaysberkeley.com alwaysberkeley.com thank you so much and that's b-e-r-k-l-e-y yes no extra e not not berkeley berkeley (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time today especially in the midst of all of this crazy weather i know we've been playing email tags so i'm so grateful for you um for hopping on in this moment when you know power is tenuous water is tenuous thanks for coming on talking about music because i think of course I, i think art is essential Absolutely. Thank you for giving me some some respite to to talk about art again. I mean, I've been thinking about like pipes and yeah, ice and temperature and heat and water. It's it's nice to think about something a little more extra than that. Yeah, dripping faucets and how many blankets do I have? Where are they? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Do we have candles? I don't want to think about that anymore. I want to go back <laughs> to thinking about compressors and EQs. Thinking about music. Well, speaking of compressors and EQs, the last thing we're going to do today is let the audience hear the fully produced version of Fiesta Day. Would you like to introduce your song? Yeah, this is Fiesta Day by me, Berkeley.
Thanks so much for joining me for Journey of a Song featuring my fantastically thoughtful friend, Berkeley. If you'd like to follow Berkeley's journey or hear more of his music, you can visit his official website and join the mailing list at alwaysberkeley.com. That's alwaysberkeley.com. Berkeley's beautiful song, Fiesta Day, is available now on all of your favorite streaming platforms. You can get additional glimpses into Berkeley's creative process by following him on Instagram at at alwaysberkeley. That's at always, B-E-R-K-L-E-Y. For behind-the-scenes glimpses and inside information, follow me on Instagram at Emmeline Music. That's at E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E Music. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, Journey of an Artist, wherever you listen to podcasts. Journey of a Song airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep LM Radio, and each episode is available as a podcast the very next day. Discover new music and hear fascinating stories with me, Emmeline, every Friday on your favorite podcast app. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. I don't want you to miss a single minute of these inspiring conversations. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a song is worth a thousand stories.